And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, you are now tuned into anything potable, the most honorable, the most audible. Hold the applause, like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital, like Antoine when he shimmied after shots went through. So tell me why you mad even? Your team gonna be sad leaving after matching up with Brad Stevens. Each season, champion contenders. We drop twice a week like you trying to guard Kemba. <laughs> your team whack and your players whacker. I got the inside scoop after hanging up with Jay and Packer. Okay, we about chips here. I'm talking about this year. Banner 12 plus 6 here. Carson was top rookie. I'm saying it now. Ain't playing around with Tatum and Hay with a brown. We off the charts, but you gotta play it market smart. Close out, cause he pulling up from Harvard Yard. Gang green, it's no other way. So tune in to the pod if you plan on staying up to date. You heard? Welcome to the Boston Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I am your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan, and I am joined by the kid, the god, the legend himself, Celtics beat reporter for The Athletic, Jay King, and we are coming to you the day after the Celtics drop a game to the loathed Philadelphia 76ers, 117-109. to uh, There was lots of accusations of flopping, flailing, coming from Marcus Smart to Joel Embiid. But the fact of the matter is, Joel Embiid is just a, a very good basketball player, and there is just nothing the Celtics could do to slow him down. Nothing they did do, at least. Good little semantic point there. They do have potential to change. And I, I think... I really didn't think they did a bad job on him early on. I thought he was taking some of the shots that they wanted him to take. He hit a three. He hit several jumpers. Like, And then he just kind of got going. Where where the Celtics really need to do a better job is they can't foul Joel Embiid. They need to do a better job of staying straight up. And it wasn't like they were like egregiously fouling him. It, but they were they were a little off balance. And that's what he does. He draws a ton of free throws. He's a tough guy to to keep away from the line. But the Celtics need to do a much much better job of defending him without fouling to to limit that impact and and force him into the the tougher twos and the threes and all that stuff. Rather than if he gets to the line repeatedly, that's just a killer. And they need to do a better job of when they do decide to double like playing in rotation and flying around. I think they they doubled a couple of times and got the ball out of his hands, but it resulted in just open shots for the 76ers. They even tried to go zone late in the fourth quarter, which just led to a wide open Danny Green three in the yeah, corner. Yeah, that was a bad zone possession. It was a pretty awful zone possession. And so I don't know what exactly the answer is. If you match up one-on-one against him because Daniel Tice is clearly just not – large enough. I don't think Tristan Thompson is large enough. 
you have to throw different looks at him, but I don't know. I don't think there was egregious, like, he was getting fouled. They had to foul because he was just that much larger than them. And so, I don't know. It's just, I don't know what the Celtics do uh, to keep him out of the paint other than just playing better kind of scrambling defense and doing more doubly. Yeah, and missing Jason Tatum is obviously a big deal. And and the Celtics, like, part of the reason their defense was so good last year is because they just had a lot of six, seven, six, eight guys running around. When Tatum isn't there, they don't really have that many, like, really athletic six, seven dudes anymore. Hayward's gone. Tatum was out. Nobody on the bench is filling that role. Shemi Ojale, I think he's still without a steal or block this entire season, though I could be wrong. That's a wild stat. Yeah, that's an insane stat. I don't even know how that's possible. I feel like I would have several steals and blocks if I were playing. No, you, you don't play defense. You're not yeah, but you, you can look into a stealer block. Like like a guy's just not looking and you get a stealer block. He does have a number of charges drawn, and so that should count for something. But I think you're right, especially in terms of going up against a guy like Joel Embiid. Like the the first or the major sub in this guy. He in this game. played 222 minutes without a stealer block. That is impressive. As a 6'7 dude with a 40-inch vertical. Uh, I I have no defense for Shemi. He draws a lot of charges. He plays physical, but uh, and he's usually he, in the right spot. How is it possible? Maybe he just lets other guys get loose balls. I don't know how that works. Um, but clearly, he was not the answer against. Like they didn't have not having Jason Tatum and having the wing depth that the Celtics had. It was like really showed itself in this game because the major sub they brought in. Uh, to replace Grant Williams, who was not good in this game and continues to kind of fluctuate, he has not really looked great as a starter, was Javante Green at the power forward. And as much as I love a high-flying Javante Green dunk, Javante Green is not large. He is a one of the, their smaller wings. He played 28 minutes in this game. He was actually a plus five, I think, mostly because he was in the game during the second quarter where the Celtics were able to go on a nice run there. But When Kemba went on a nice run there. Uh, yeah, when Kembo went on a nice run, Javante happened to be in the game. But you really just see how much the wing depth struggles without Tatum out there because you're relying on Javante, you're relying on Shemi Oshle, and that's basically all your wings. And it's just like Tobias – I remember that one play, I think it was down the stretch, where it's like they're relying on Javante post-defense on Tobias Harris. And you just – Javante can't do that. Tobias Harris feels like a one-and-a-half size of Javante. Yeah, he just kind of housed Javante there, and it wasn't good at all. Um, and I, 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 this uh, like Romeo Langford could help, but he took some shots pregame. We did see some footage of him taking shots. Are you a Romeo believer? Like, what do you expect from Romeo this season? I like the idea of Romeo, but Romeo has not shown me any – he's shown flashes. He's shown occasional flashes, but he's never done anything consistently. I also don't know if that's just because he hasn't had the opportunity to do so, whether that be his health or the Celtics were playing important basketball games, and so he didn't really want to give a chance to the rookie. He did get in, I guess, the playoffs last year before immediately hurting himself again. I think he's an athletic guy. He can guard – twos and threes, but I don't 
see him as like, is he a guy who can guard someone like Tobias Harris in the post? Like, what is he giving you defensively that the team doesn't necessarily have right now in terms of uh, wings off the bench? Like, I feel like Shemi can give you some size. Javante is extremely athletic. I see him, Romeo is more of a playing defense in the Javante mold of like twos and threes, maybe and switching out onto some ones. But he doesn't isn't like the the kind of bigger guy that I think the Celtics need because they have a pretty small front court when you think about it. Like Tristan Thompson's not very tall. Daniel Tice is I think Jason Tatum's probably the tallest guy on this team. I don't believe that is true. He is growing growing an inch every other week, but. I don't know. From Romeo, I have no idea what to expect. I have no idea. if like He's an athletic player. He's shown some flashes of attacking the rim. He's shown knowing what he's doing on defense, which I think is important. But uh, I, don't, I have really no idea what to expect from him just because he hasn't done anything consistently yet in his career. Yeah. yeah that, that's kind of where I stand on Romeo. And I, I, think, I think there's a chance he fills a need for them. As just a a wing, a body, with, a body, yeah. yeah. As a six six dude who can run and jump and play defense, and will occasionally get a sealer block. Sorry, Shemi, you've you've played well. And I think uh, he's better on offense than Javante is. Javante had a cool dunk and a nice steal, but also there were some bad turnovers from Javante. It feels like when he gets the ball. Uh, he doesn't know exactly what to do with it. I think just Romeo is more dangerous with the ball in his hands, and so I think he comes in and directly takes minutes from uh, Javante. I keep saying Javante instead of Green. It feels weird to call him Green, but I don't know if he gives you a major upgrade uh, there. He's just another guy who can do it. Yeah, which is kind of important. It's kind of important. And just because the Celtics don't have a guy like that off the bench. They currently do not, and I think it's one of the major issues uh, with this team. We don't know what's going to happen if Jason Tatum is going to play on Friday against the re- uh, in the rematch. Now, Jay, before the season, you didn't like these two-game series. In the middle of the season, you didn't like these two-game series. Do you like it now after there's been a little sparring back and forth? Marcus Smart accuses Embiid of flopping. Embiid laughs at him. Do you like it, the fact that the Celtics will play the 76ers again in two days, I really don't give a shit. Um, I you don't have think no feelings. You don't care at all. No, no, no. I prefer more variety in regular season games. A variety but guy. Not a good good games guy. are always welcome too. So a two game set against like the Wizards is rough. Well, the Wizards are never going to play a basketball game ever again, and so. That's not going to happen. But, but but a two-game set against the 76ers is fun. I just think it's interesting to see what adjustments they make after Embiid early dominates them and to see – it's not going to be like – Don't foul style. a motherfucker every time. They're, you have to foul him. He is seven foot two and can move like a gazelle. Like it's – I don't know what you do other than fouling him. I think the thing that's going to be interesting for the Celtics is how they adjust – on the other side of the ball. I know the Kemba had a great game or a great first half, which we can talk about more, but the real reason the Celtics lost this game was not the free throw disparity. It was the fact that they scored 17 points in the fourth quarter and Kemba and Jalen were something like one for 11. And so when you're giving up the, that many trips to the line and the 76ers have an opportunity to get back and set their defense, 
and you are doing nothing on the offensive end, it's really difficult for the Celtics to win the game. And I don't know if it was because we saw Kemba have a flash of just a great Kemba quarter in the first half. Uh, but then to kind of meet his minutes restrictions, Brad didn't play for the first 11 minutes of the third quarter. Maybe he got out of rhythm, but he wasn't able to do anything in the fourth quarter. Jalen Brown wasn't really able to do anything uh, in the fourth quarter. And that's the major reason why I think the Celtics lost. Yeah. Part of that, like you said, was they were fouling every time and playing against a set defense every time. So, so that's a big deal. Like they didn't get very many transition opportunities at all. I, I think the 76ers took 17 free throws in the fourth quarter, which is a lot. <laughs> the Celtics took zero. Yeah. So, so that, that was part of it. I do think Kemba came back and was out of rhythm a little bit. I do think that, um, like Peyton Pritchard missed a wide open look. That would have been a big one. They, they got a, a few decent looks um, that just didn't go down. And then they're really relying on Jason Tatum, like very much relying on Jason Tatum. And that's been the case for two years now. It's been the case when he's gone, they typically don't look good. And he's been out for a few games now, I think three, right? Yeah. And the last two have just been, I guess they played okay against the 76ers. It wasn't like a, a total stinker, but the New York one was an abomination. And Well, the and, first half was was great. Kemba was, came back and was phenomenal. Well, the first quarter sucked. The second quarter was great. So together, I would say the first half was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it, it was fine. But, but Kemba, Kemba, Kemba changes things for them. And if Kemba has that level, that second quarter – and like I, I just think that's that's gonna be huge. And like there was one play, he split a double team, drew, I think it was Dwight Howard, dropped it off for Tice. It was like, okay, that's that's the burst. And you didn't see that all the time during the playoffs. So he 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 looks healthy right now. And they gotta they gotta find out how to keep him that way. What did you think about Robert Williams not playing a second? Were you were you furious that Robert Williams did not play a second? I wasn't furious because Danny Two Blocks, Daniel Tice, was having a hell of a game. Him and Kemba have some sort of uh, mind connection, and Daniel Tice was playing phenomenally. And so I don't think he should have lost any minutes during that second half where you would expect maybe Robert Williams to come in. Tristan Thompson didn't have a great game, but I thought Daniel Tice earned – kind of his minutes, especially down the stretch in that game. I think that's the best offensive game we've seen Daniel Tice play. He finished with 23 points, 10 of 11 from the field, basically just knocking down everything. I, I, if I'm Robert Williams and I'm seeing Daniel Tice go out there dropping 23, I, I'm I'm not too upset. Yeah, I agree. And I, I, I think like fouls were an issue. I think Robert Williams would have fouled Joel Embiid a lot. Um, not that Daniel Tice avoids fouls regularly. He's a habitual fouler. At least refs call him for habitual, call him for fouls habitually. But yeah, and, and Tice, it's no coincidence that that he played so well with Kemba back. He and with the double big lineup not being a thing. 
he needs to play the five. He needs to play with the Celtics' better players. He can really work well when he's complimenting the better players. And I, I think he was bodied by Dwight Howard for some offensive rebounds a few times. But other than that, Tice, Tice was great. Um, he had a couple possessions against Embiid in the fourth quarter when the one where he stayed straight up and caused a miss and then the other when Embiid was posting up and Tice worked around him and got the steal. He he was really working. I, I thought he had one of his better games of the season. And I think, I do think like Kemba just makes things so much easier for Daniel Tice because he sets him up in rhythm. He take draws so much attention that Tice gets free lanes to the hoop. And, and I think Robert Williams can benefit from that too. Like, I don't think that's just a Daniel Tice thing. Kemba just is going to make those centers better and not playing next to other centers is going to make those centers better. Yeah. Tice at the five is just so much better and so much more of a, a threat. He was just incredible at the role. Him and Kemba seem to have uh, a pretty solid connection when it comes to the offensive end. I thought the thing that was also interesting uh, about this game was, and Correct me if I'm wrong, but it felt like the first uh, kind of Marcus Smart offensive performance of the year. He was awesome. He was so good, especially in the second quarter, half. That third quarter was the, probably the best quarter he's played all season. He just kind of controlled everything. 11 points, 5 for 7. He also had two assists, but it felt like uh, the new Kemba. Well, Kemba basically didn't play that quarter, only a minute and a half. Um, basically, uh, him and Jalen – uh, scored all the basically all the points for the Celtics in that quarter, but it was basically all started from Marcus Smart just getting in pick and rolls, putting guys in jail, getting guys on his back, and making the right decision. Of course, making a, some wacky floaters as Marcus Smart is wont to do. So some crazy fadeaway jumpers that after missing some free throws, but this was the more uh, he seemed to take more, be more aggressive on the offensive end. I don't know if he's. Um, why that necessarily is, or he hasn't done that uh, earlier in the season, but it seems like this was kind of the playoff version of Marcus Smart that we were more used to seeing just with him trying to make an impact on the game. Yeah, I, I thought offensively, he just kind of manufactured things for the Celtics. That third quarter, the ball was just kind of in his hands, and he was making things happen, and he was making good decisions. He was getting the shots that he wanted. He, I, I thought that's as well as he's, played offensively I mean he was just controlling everything there was very little he did wrong in that third quarter and I mean just 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 controlling the whole thing Marcus Smart Marcus Smart professional point guard um changing gears a little bit how irritated on a scale of one to ten are you that Jeff Teague plays about as many minutes as Peyton Pritchard. Eh, that's what he's here for. He's a savvy vet. Like I, Jeff Teague played basically 18 minutes in this game. Peyton Pritchard played 19. Are you calling for Peyton Pritchard to play 38 minutes a game? Like I, there's going to be, I don't know where those minutes are necessarily going to come from. Peyton Pritchard was the guy who came in down the stretch when they needed to kind of space the floor a little bit. I think you're going to need to play Teague uh, some minutes. I think he has some value. He had some really like a bad turnover where he just got the ball 
just stripped from him by Ben Simmons and then got dunked on. Um, I think Teague, he also had, like, it felt like the 76ers were basically giving up the pull-up mid-range jumper, and Teague was very willing to take it, and it didn't drop. For some reason, I have kind of faith in Jeff Teague to be able to knock down that shot. Maybe that's false hope, but I don't know. I don't think Teague was uh, especially egregious, especially in a game where it's not like Peyton Pritchard was marvelous in this game. Peyton Pritchard really didn't do much. Uh, It felt like they were kind of a watch. Neither one proved themselves better than the other. I think, obviously, you're going to go towards Pritchard um, just because he feels like more of a competent or capable of a playmaker and shooter right now. But I don't know. I'm I'm fine with both of those guys getting like 15 to 20 minutes. I think that's just kind of the, the guard rotation they have right now. I think it's concerning that Teague is shooting 28.6% from two-point range. Yes, I think that would be improved. It would be much better if the, uh, for the Celtics if he hit more of those shots. If Gordon Hayward is two-point daddy, he is two-point son. <laughs> I mean, the two-pointer has been Jeff Teague's father this year. 28.6%. That's just horrible. He's shooting 33.3% from the field while shooting close to 50% from behind the arc, which is way above what he's ever shot in his career. So you think it's like a problem or you think it's just something like oh, he's going to clearly get better at two-point shots uh, as the season go on, like ascend to the mean? I think given his age, it is concerning. I'll just say that. I at In... The early 30s, in the 30s, point guards don't always come back from losing that. Um, but do you think it's like his legs are that much like affecting his ability to knock down a pull-up? Yeah, that, that's, what's, that's what's weird about it. It does seem like he's gotten – he's just blown bunnies um, a lot of the time. So so maybe it is a trend that will just go away. But, well, there's like two different shots for him. There's like he had some wide open foul line jumpers that he just missed. And so I feel like he should be able to make those. There are some times where he is a little too ambitious in the float game where it's like maybe all-star Jeff Teague makes that, but that's not something he can do now. I think if he can knock down the mid-range jump shots, especially if the teams like the 76ers are just basically inviting him to take them, I think like I don't know. I think I don't think that's a huge issue. And it's also like Peyton Pritchard had as an opportunity. He's not a guy who's going to be taking a lot of mid-range shots or even floaters, really. He's about getting into the paint and then throwing some Hakeem Olajuwon moves at you, and that's how he scores. And so uh, Jeff Teague is a little bit better. Like The idea of Jeff Teague is better in terms of a paint score right now or paint threat than Peyton Pritchard. And so, uh, But I don't think it's a great uh, – for the Celtics. But Peyton Pritchard has been way better at scoring inside the arc than Jeff Teague. Like, it's not even close. Oh, yeah, no, Jeff Teague, you, you said the statistics. He hasn't so, been good. So so the idea might be very wrong. Oh, yeah, my ideas are wrong all the time. I think, like, I'm just envisioning, like, when the Celtics are fully healthy and Tatum's back and Romeo Langford's back and maybe playing minutes off the bench. Like, I'm just not sure a Jeff Teague, Peyton Pritchard second unit backcourt is like the thing. Yeah. I mean, you just, you don't want both of them playing, I guess, close to 20 minutes, but I think it makes sense with the guys they have out right now. 
I think it's the type of thing where they're each going to get an opportunity, get like a, a, at least a six minute stint here and there, just because um, they basically have three ball handlers and those uh, it's Kemba. Well, I guess you can throw Marcus Martin there, but he's kind of a combo guard. I think they're each going to get a chance. I think um, when Tatum comes back, you'll see the minutes for all the bench guys kind of come down and, yeah, I, I would assume Peyton Pritchard steps up and plays a larger role than Jeff Teague moving forward. But it, it's uh, also worth noting that Jeff Teague has the on-off stats are sparkling. The Celtics have, have been fifteen point three points per hundred possessions better with Jeff Teague on the court. So is, maybe the idea of Jeff Teague is genius, and people are just yeah. focusing on the shot making. But really, he's bringing he's impacting winning uh, elsewhere on the court. I mean, it, it's it's very possible, but I, I do think the the lack of of shot making and especially two point shot making is a little concerning. And especially when Kemba gets back, and the Celtics won't need as much penetration and playmaking. Like spacing the court will be more paramount. And well, he's shooting fifty percent from three. I mean, what more could you ask for, Teague? I mean. He's shot 19 threes all season, less and than he's two. Made ten of them at least. He has not made ten of them. <laughs> you told me. You told me he was over fifty percent. No, no, cl- close to fifty. He's nine for nineteen. Oh, okay, just under fifty percent. All right. Before we get to the world famous potable six pack about uh, this game, I do want to talk a little bit about the 76ers. There's like a Celtics rival, one of the teams that's. Uh, Celtics will be competing with in the East. How did you think they looked, uh, I guess, outside of Joel Embiid? And I think this question is largely, is Ben Simmons good? Because this 76ers team did not look that much different from the 76ers team that the Celtics swept in the playoffs last year. I know 76ers fans were desperate to trade Ben Simmons for James Harden and quite disappointed I think the critique of Ben Simmons is that he has not improved at all since basically his rookie year. He did finish the game with 11-8 and 8, like a solid game from Ben Simmons, kind of got into foul trouble, but really didn't do much um, on the offensive end. He is still also quite large, uh, 6'10", but, um, and we didn't see Seth Curry out there. But what do you think of the kind of how the 76ers looked um, and was or even even able to kind of give an observation when it was just so JoJo f- focused? They just make more sense now, I think, is is the key. They have more shooting. Just having Danny Green out there is just like as an option in the corner is so much better than anyone they ran out last year as just a shooter. And so I imagine with Seth Curry out there, too, they're going to be much more dangerous. Yeah, and it's just like like you could see – when Joel Embiid got doubled a couple times, he doesn't have to make the tough pass, like just kick it out. Celtics got in rotation. Sixers swung the ball around the perimeter and got a good shot. And so they they just seem to make more sense now. I think by changing the roster and getting rid of Al Horford, who's still good, but didn't make sense there. It's just, given Simmons and Embiid a better chance to be great. And and that's what the Sixers really need. So but I, is Simmons great? Like, is he, like, there's a lot of criticism of he's Simmons. He's damn right good. Like, he's almost averaging a triple-double. 
That is he, fair. I did notice that. I was like, notice that in the stat line during the game. Uh, it was like, oh, he's averaging a triple double this year. I think the thing that is overlooked with him is he's just an all NBA or all defense like candidate. He is 6'10 and super athletic. And if he can be your point guard and just give you that much size um, on like while playing defense, it's just, it's super helpful to your team. Like you don't really need, like when, if Joel Embiid's going to play like that, you don't need Ben Simmons to be taking uh, like 15 shots. Like he's a great facilitator. He punished the Celtics in transition. He had some very nice passes, uh, especially off Celtics turnovers. Like, I don't know. I think it's kind of overblown uh, uh, how, like how much criticism he got. I know the Sixers fan wanted them to trade for Harden, but I thought he was, uh, like just solid and just as like a solid defensive player. And now they just like, he just needs to be a distributor right now. The offense runs through Jojo. They have spacers and I don't know. I thought the 76ers looked pretty good and will probably look better uh, when Seth Curry comes back, which might be Friday. Yeah. And I, I think like for them, I still wonder if they have enough talent to really contend. Um, and that's not a, really a knock on them but more of a statement like you have to be really really damn good to win a championship and i'm not sure they have enough like playmaking at the point guard like shot making i guess um at the point guard to oh maxi's been pretty good no uh, no he's he's fine but he's not a playoff level go-to guy oh he's not a go-to guy he's not a guy who's going to be in their final like he's a six-man like lead the second unit he needs the ball yeah, and tend to be effective. He's, guy, he's fine. Like he's he's good. He's a promising rookie for sure. But I just think like when you look at the Nets, they have James Harden, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving. Yeah, but they can't even beat Colin Sexton. That's true. But <laughs> when you, when you look at the Cavaliers, they have Colin Sexton. Now there's an adjustment. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I, I just I still wonder about that, but they'll. They'll be better. They'll be more competitive. And I think they're going to be a handful in the playoffs because Embiid, there aren't many guys who can stop them. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Discover the latest collections from David Yerman, as seen recently, styled on basketball stars like Jaime Jaquez, Jalen Green, D'Angelo Russell, and others. David Yerman is a celebrated American jewelry company inspired by the beauty of art, architecture, and the natural world. The story of David Yerman begins in New York City with David, a sculptor, and his wife, Sybil, a painter and ceramicist. When the artists began collaborating, their goal was to simply make beautiful design objects to wear. Over 40 years later, the Yermans and their son, Evan, continue to redefine American luxury jewelry with timeless modern collections for women and men defined by inspiration, innovation, consummate craftsmanship, and Cable, the brand's artistic signature. David Yerman's collections are available on davidyerman.com. Yeah, it's, so it's going to be interesting to see the Celtics play them again. I don't know why this isn't exciting for you. Play them again on Friday. And uh, so we'll go and wrap this episode up with the world-famous potable six-pack. That's where Jay and I pick our six most notable things 
to ha occur from the game. Jay, I'll let you go first. Uh, Kemba's second quarter. That's that's the thing that really matters. That's what's important. If the Celtics, if Kemba is capable of doing that semi-regularly, then the Celtics go from pretty good regular season team to all right, they've they've got a chance to do something. So yeah, I think I saw some stat. It was like Kemba hit four threes and a half or four threes and a quarter and had not done that since last January. And so it was clearly something Which was right before the knee issue really popped up. So it seems like his knee is doing much better and he had the bounce was able to knock down shots. I think that's huge for the Celtics. Clearly, the his rhythm was messed up with the kind of um, minutes restriction. Minutes Bradford, going up, 25 to 28. It's going up. We got five more minutes of Kemba, and so uh, I think that will be improved. But I think you're right. That's that's probably the biggest takeaway if we're going ultimate Kaizen Warriors process over results. Um, the results with Kemba were pretty good, too. And so I think that's a fair number one pick. My number one pick is going to be Jalen Brown offensive bag, especially there's just that one play against Ben Simmons where he showed like four or five different moves and then did the too small move after shooting a fadeaway over him, which is kind of an odd move to do. Well, I, I, Joel Embiid did the too small move over somebody. I, I think it might have been Tristan Thompson, maybe Daniel Tice. It was Tristan Thompson, but Joel Embiid... So I, think, I think it was a response to that. like. But Joel B is much taller than Tristan Thompson. Ben Simmons is taller than Jalen Brown. So, like, the too small. If, if someone hits you with the too small, if someone hits your teammate with the too small, you come back with the too small. It's like it's like when Russell Westbrook used to rock rock the baby after, like, finishing over Anthony Davis. Like, it doesn't really make sense. But at the same time, it makes all the sense in the world. So saying you're too small to a guy who's bigger than you is so far more disrespectful than saying it to someone who's actually shorter than you. It, yeah, and it, especially if you do it right after hitting him uh, with like six counter the moves. Whoop -de -whoop. The, he hit him with the whoop-de-whoop. -whoop. It was a classic whoop-de-whoop. -whoop. Like, I can't even describe what he did, but the whoop-de-whoop -whoop, uh, embodies that perfectly. I just don't know where this – I shouldn't be like continue to be surprised by Jalen Brown's offensive game, uh, especially off the dribble, but he just continues to be – pretty damn good uh we saw him get some plays that like scal called it out it was like the avery bradley style plays where he gets uh he starts in the corner and gets a screen basically going to his right and he just made a lot of plays uh against the 76ers less so in the fourth quarter um but it was good that he was getting that opportunity down the stretch and i was just impressed by um his continued ability to jump into his own bag your pick again. Second pick. It's got to be the Marcus Smart uh, press conference after the game. Coming to the Zoom podium, still in your jersey. That's how you know Marcus Smart. Was He's beating. done that multiple times. I, I, that might be a new thing for Marcus Smart. He doesn't want to shower. He wants to get right to the media. And he was uh, – you saw him immediately pick up the box score. Whatever the question was, he immediately went into the free throw disparities, accused Embiid of a lot of flopping and flailing. Uh, which I don't think he's going to get fined for it. He didn't directly call out the refs, but he was clearly very frustrated. He also was upset 
because uh, he said the ref threw a jump ball directly to Danny Green uh, when he had that jump ball at Jalen Brown. I rewatched the replay. It doesn't look like he threw the ball right to Danny Green. But it, you can it might have been an, an inch or two. It, it was, I think it was a little to the side, but it wasn't egregious. But you can see that. Re- so the 76ers call a timeout right after once whoever catch, caught the ball. And both Jalen and Marcus Smart immediately take steps towards the ref to be like, what the fuck was that? I don't know if we saw a bad angle, but hypothetically, you would think Jalen Brown can outjump Danny Green. But they were just – I liked uh, the little pre- or post-game anger from Marcus Smart. It reminded me of a good uh, – a good Jay Crowder uh, post-game anger from back in the day when the guy's just fuming and can't really control himself. Yeah, you could tell that he was going to go on a rant about the officiating when he had the box score in his hand and was looking down at it. You knew at that point he was furious that the 76ers had taken as many free throws as they did and wanted everyone to know that he was furious and wanted somebody to ask the question so he could just talk about Joel Embiid flailing. Yeah, he's talking about flopping and flailing. I love Joel Embiid's response being like, Marcus Smart is the one talking about this, but I would contend Marcus Smart knows more about flopping and flailing than anyone else in the league. And so he's like an expert uh, witness. He he can identify it better than anyone. And the, so if he calls you a flopper and flailer, he's, uh, he's obviously right. You're flopping and flailing. And this is going to be a hot take. It might sound like a hot take. I think it's the right take. Marcus Smart doesn't flop nearly as much anymore as people think he does. There was a time. There was a time (laughs) when Marcus Smart was was out there taking egregious flops left and right. I don't think he does that nearly as often anymore. He's more of a defensive flopper than an offensive flopper, though. He's more of a guy who really sells like a sell a charge call than definitely more of a defensive flopper. But even that, I don't think he does it like all that often he's not at the level that people talk about him being i mean he wants he's not he probably does it more than he he does it i'm sure more than the average player but it's not like he's the king of flopping anymore it's not on offense i feel like he. i don't think even on defense you're right like it feels like when he draws a a charge it's a pretty legitimate um he's in position and he normally gets hit in the balls 19 times a game it's it's not flopping as much as just protecting his testicles. Um, he's pretty good at um, the the flop or like uh, coming around the three, drawing that foul, especially when uh, Tybal is is guarding him. He did some um, nice shenanigans there. I think he got, got away with that twice, um, which they just need to figure out. But you're you're right. He's not egregious. I think he was mostly pissed off because the Celtics didn't get any foul calls in that fourth quarter. And maybe they could have used some more flopping and flailing. I thought Kemba got fouled a couple times. I thought Jalen got fouled when they're trying to attack the rim, but they they didn't flop. And so maybe they need to engage the more Celtics flopping and flailing. Need to use more flopping and flailing on they their. They need to get to the line. They need to get to the line. It's and like that, that's really one of the things that that they miss. You know, a lot of teams, especially some of the more talented teams with some of the all stars, they they have a guy who will get to the line a lot and will get to the line in high leverage situations. And the Celtics don't always have that. Every once in a while, Jason Tatum will do it. Every once in a while, Jalen Brown will do it. But you, they don't have a guy you can count on every night to get you eight, nine free throw attempts. And that's something that they miss. So More they, should start, they should start flailing. I, I also enjoyed how in the middle of his rant, Marcus Smart was like, 
Yeah, if, if I could do that too, I would. <laughs> and Kemba post game was like, yeah, I think I got fouled every single time, but what player doesn't? Like, they were both pretty. Yeah, they were. They knew what was going on. Yeah, right. I, I I enjoyed the theater of it. Um, since you picked Marcus Smart, I'm gonna go with Joel Embiid. His clapback saying Marcus Smart said I flailed. <laughs> Like that, that, that was a good one. Touche. I feel like they kind of have a weird rivalry dating back a to while. the shove, to the shove. I mean, Marcus yeah. really got upset and shoved him good. I mean, you would there, if there is a Sixers Celtics rivalry, it makes sense that, like, I would say Joel is the heart and soul of the Sixers, Marcus Smart is the heart and soul of the Celtics. Like, the, and the they're just guys. shit talkers and instigators and, and love to be in the mix of things. And I think. I think that's that's what made that what has made that rivalry beautiful over the years. Um, and I, maybe, maybe there is no nothing there, but I just feel like there there's always something between Marcus Smart and Joel Embiid that that seems to be a theme pretty regularly between these two teams. So I, I'm here for it. I'm all about it. Um, my second pick or my third pick, I guess overall, Javante Green. On the fast break. He's the best jumper there's ever existed. No matter how many times he does it, it doesn't matter. I could watch Javante Green get a steal and get a dunk a billion times. And the billion and first, I would still go, holy shit. I can't believe he just did that. And the, the dunk he had, like he kind of like hung in the air like Moved his arm a little bit. I don't know how he had enough time to to be in the air and do what he did, but he did it. Javante Green is an airplane. He's, he's an, an airplane. He's an electric jumper. Every single time he jumps, it's amazing. He almost blocked Cormaz uh, uh, when Cormaz was trying to do a reverse dunk in transition, and he had no idea Javante was behind him. Just every single time he jumps, uh, it's entertaining. And so – if he could just put it together a little bit on the offensive end, uh, that would be fantastic. For my final pick, I'm going to give a quick shout-out to Peyton Pritchard, Fast PP, for um, always having just – looking like he just got a haircut today. It looks like he got gets a haircut before every single game. So that's impressive. But my final um, pick has to be – did you notice that the 76ers had their like full hype team there? Like they had a full band, uh, all of their male and female cheerleaders, and that no talent Franklin at the game, uh, performing for who? I just don't get uh, what this. It's like maybe good on the Sixers for keeping these people employed, but they were just hooting and hollering, and I don't know what 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 their point was. Why do you have those guys at the game? Yeah, it sounds like an unnecessary risk during a global pandemic. Yeah, don't call me. those guys into work. Uh, it's just not necessary. Who is Franklin? Uh, pumping up. I don't think uh, Ben Simmons is looking up there and being like, oh man, we got a full uh, full drum line and Franklin the dog there. I'm really going to play my heart out for uh, for this one. And so just wild, wild stuff from the 76ers. I, I had to bring it up because I hate the uh, their mascot, Franklin. And so any chance I can get to kind of disparage him, I'll take. But it just didn't make any sense to me uh, why they were there. That's a valid, valid concern. Valid. See, Jay, this was a fun kind of exchange talking about the Celtics and the 76ers, and I'm so glad that they'll play again. And uh, when they do, me and you will be there to talk about it. 
uh, and the people will enjoy it because this is one of none. I was going to say one of, this is the best Celtics podcast that there is. And we appreciate all one of you guys for yeah, I, I would have slapped you if you went through with that. Sentence. I know I could see your face. And so, uh, Jay King will also slap you if you don't rate us, uh, five stars. Don't give us a review on iTunes or anything like that. Uh, because it's important to us. It helps us out. And if you don't want to be slapped, then just go ahead and, and uh, do that. And uh, we thank you for your listening, and we thank you for listening to this episode of Anything is Possible! As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.